Hey, Rockbridge, I hope y'all are doing great. I want to welcome you at all five of our locations spread throughout northwest Georgia and up into Tennessee. So welcome. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. Delighted, glad that y'all are here. Thank you so much. We're in Ezra, The Way Back. That's the current sermon series. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it on or open it up. You'll be welcome to follow along with me on the screen to the book of Ezra. A little harder to find uh, in the Old Testament, but uh, Ezra chapter uh, 4 is where we're going to hang out. Before we get there, I want us to have some time just to pray for one another. So every week, you send in and submit your prayer requests, and I always just want to ask you maybe one of these resonates with you. Maybe one of these represents kind of where you might be or someone you know is. So I'll, I'll pray in just a minute for us and ask you to kind of stand in the gap uh, and intercede as well in, in your hearts and, and to pray for someone or to pray for yourself. And I always remind you that on the first Wednesday of every month, which is coming up this coming Wednesday, this next Wednesday, we have a time where our elders fulfill James 5, which is that elders get to pray for people lay hands on people. And, and so if, if this is you or that's an, a need you have, your church is here to stand in the gap and pray for you. I also want to ask you to pray for uh, our services today. And as you uh, come in, in all, of your, all of our venues, you see two crosses to usually into the left or right of the stage or the platform. And, and we'll have an opportunity to respond to what God's going to say to us. So I want us to pray about our response. And I want us to pray that we would be receptive to what God has for us. So join with me as we pray together for our request and for our response to God's Word today. I want to read this over us where Paul says this. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of His calling, the glorious riches of His inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe. God, I just want to pray right now for that you would all give us eyes to see what you're giving to us right now as we open your word in this service. And God, that we would be able to respond to you today as you speak to us. God, I want to pray for every need that's reflected on our screen, that's representative of people throughout our congregations. God, that you would give them eyes to see Christ and the victory that he gives. God, Jesus is a foe-conquering, enemy-defeating king of kings. May we see him that way today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. So we have been uh, in this series called Ezra the Way Back, and as a, a way of review, we're in actual history where a group of Jews who were exiled by Babylon away from Jerusalem, sent into kind of modern-day Iran, Iraq, and 70 years of exile, then the king allowed some or to come back and to reestablish worship, to rebuild the altar, the walls, and the city, and that's the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, to come back to Jerusalem, the promised land, and to do that. Uh, and we have been sort of meeting them in their journey, and God is calling us back as his people, back to, to live in accordance with him, his promises, back to our place and, and to give him the worship that he deserves. We've had to leave some things behind uh, and say, God, if I'm going to move forward with you, I got to move away from this. And that's been our journey. 
And so we're in part three of that journey. And, and today, uh, it'll get real because I, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, you'll be able to resonate to some degree with what we're talking about because it's, it, it's just a fact of life. And, and here's the fact, it's, and I'll call this a certainty. You can bank on it. You can count on it. The certainty is this, progress will always have pushback. Progress will always have pushback. So you haven't been in church in a while, and, and finally you came today, and, and welcome. We're glad you came, and, and you're welcome here. But you took a step. You made progress in sort of trying to figure out God or your life or what's going on in your life, and can, is God there? Is God real? Can God help? Or, hey, I, I left God when I left high school, but I'm coming back. Whatever that is, so you made progress, but there's going to be pushback. Some of you have been walking faithfully with God for as long as you can remember, and maybe your faith is kind of kicking into another gear. There's going to be pushback. Some of you, you know, hey, God's doing something new and doing something fresh, and I'm newly married. I'm a new parent. I got a new job, and everything looks good. There's going to be pushback. Progress will always have pushback. It is a certainty. I will never lie to you to the best of my ability, right? I will never lie to you and tell you that just because following God is no guarantee that pushback goes away. Following God is actually a guarantee to receive that you'll get pushback. So uh, this notion that, hey, if I trust God, he's going to make all my problems go away. No, he's going to carry them for you or try to help let you let him carry them for you. But there will always be pushback when there's progress. So that's a certainty. Now, here, here's the variable. Here's the variable. The variable is how do we respond to it? The variable is how do you respond to contact with the enemy? You know, we can be like a football team that, that, all, that never plays a game, and, and the coaches will say, I think we're ready, I think we're ready, I think we're ready, but they never know till they make contact with the opposition. So we are all going to face pushback. 100% of us listening to this, I will, I have, and it's going to happen again. You will, you have, or you, it's just going to happen. The variable is how do you respond? Do you, what, what, what could your response be? Is it to doubt God, to run from God, to cling to God, to, to, to walk by faith, to walk by fear, to get angry, to get discouraged, to become a practical atheist? It can be all over the board, but your response and my response, that's the variable. Certainly, you're going to hit progress. Certainly, you're going to get hit pushback. Excuse me. The variable is how do you respond? So today, for two, three chapters, our 50,000 exiles, round numbers, who have returned from Babylon to Jerusalem, they've been walking good. Everything is going well. Uh, they're, they're building or rebuilding, I should say, the altar. They're reestablishing worship. We would say, hey, that's spiritual progress. Today, they hit the pushback, and we'll meet them where they are in Ezra chapter 4. Here's what it says, boom, boom, when the enemies. Now, it goes ahead and calls them enemies. Let me, we'll unpack this because it it's kind of unique the way the story is told. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, who's the governor or the political leader of the returnees, and the family heads and said to them, let us build with you for we also worship your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of King Azar Hadan of Assyria brought us here. Now, we already know they're enemies but they masquerade as helpers. They masquerade as helpers hoping to infiltrate the work of God. 
Now, they recognize this, and 2 Kings 17.33 tells us that these people have been worshiping Yahweh, God of the Bible, yes, but they've also been worshiping false gods, and, and, and so that's, that's why the response comes as follows, which Zerubbabel, Yeshua, the high priest, and the other heads of Israel's families answered them, said, you may have no part with us in building a house for our God, since we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So they know their enemies and they rebuff them and they say, no, you are not going to stop us. Here's the pushback. The enemies appear on the scene. The enemies want to infiltrate the work of God and the people of God so far rebuff it and resist it. So we're going to get a battle plan for ourselves. The first battle plan is this. We have to know our enemies. They exist. It's real. It's not some fairy tale. It's not some movie that you might see. and It's real. That there is real enemies, real foes to your progress, to my progress, to our spiritual progress. And our Jewish friends in history, they recognize this and they're able to rebuff it initially. Now let's talk about our enemies. Let's talk about what it means to know our enemies. There's two, there's two enemies that we face. There's two enemies we face. The first enemy is internal. It lives inside of you. You look at him or her in the mirror every morning, right? It is what the Bible would call the flesh. It's the part of you that tries to do life apart from God or the part of you that wants to be God or the part of you that that just lives in, in an orientation of unbelief against God, okay? This enemy is your primary enemy. No one has lied to you more than you have. No, no one has led you down a path of stupid more than you have, okay? So the internal enemy exists. Now, let's put this together with what we see going on in, in Ezra 4. There's also an external enemy, which we might call Satan or his messengers, all right? We see them, these people coming. We call them enemies, but external enemies are Satan or his messengers. Satan, his minions. Satan and the thorn in the flesh, as Paul calls it in Corinthians. So we have an internal enemy and we have an external enemy. A lot of energy gets focused on external energy, on external enemies, whether it's the person sitting next to you, uh, the person that you work with, uh, the cancer that you've just found out about, uh, the bad economy, the, the pink slip that you got. So we all have kind of this opposition to the direction we want to move in, external and internal. Now, now here's what we have to understand. The plan of our enemy, Satan, is to come as an external messenger that incites and arouses the internal enemy, and then the internal enemy just takes over. Your pride takes over, your fear takes over, your doubt, your discouragement takes over, your anger, your bitterness takes over, and and then he can just leave you alone. So, so Satan doesn't appear like you see in the movies, The Exorcist, which still give me nightmares and haunt me. Satan doesn't appear like that. He appears or opposition appears or his messengers appear to incite the part of you that is wired to exist and operate as if God doesn't exist. The part of you that wants to be prideful or fearful, boastful or doubtful. The part of you that wants to get mad and have it your way. That part of you. That's what Satan's going to do. Now watch him do it to, to our forefathers and our first parents. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say, can't trust God, doubt God. You can't eat from any tree in the garden. 
And, and, and Eve gets into a conversation and something that never was an option to Eve before this day is suddenly an option. So what does she do? She saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. I can obtain pleasure and happiness apart from God. All Satan did was plant a thought. And because God gave her a degree, you and me, a degree of free will and the ability to choose, she just sorts looks in that direction and it looks good, looks delightful, looks desirable. Let's have a bite. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was passively doing nothing. <laughs> and he was with her and he ate it. Now, what happened? External opposition, the serpent, Satan, he doesn't come and kill her. He doesn't come and do anything. He just gets in her mind and says, hey, just take a look. Looks better if you do it your way, not God's. And then we, know, we don't even hear any, When they're eating the food, we don't even hear, we don't even, the, the, the scripture doesn't even mention Satan. So we know our enemies. He will come or messengers will come as an external thing. Cancer, the doctor says cancer. Internally, you go, God's not good anymore. Your boss says, we got to make some cutbacks. Internally, you go, what am I going to do now? Who's going to take care of me now? I thought I was walking with God, and, and good God, good things are supposed to happen to my paycheck. And now it's gone. Someone gossips about you. Messenger, external. Man, I'm bitter. I'm mad. I want to get even. I want to get ahead internal enemy is activated. It's the pattern every time. So hear me, your greatest enemy is not out there. Your greatest, your enemy out there just wants to activate the enemy in here. It's the exact pattern every single time. So what do we have to do? Our, our Jewish friends do it. They recognize what I'll call the mirage moment. They recognize the mirage moment. Well, what do I mean when I say the mirage moment? So mirages occur when people are like literally dying of thirst, right? And they're in the desert and they look out and, and their mind and their emotions play tricks and they think there's something that's going to satisfy their thirst that really doesn't satisfy their thirst. They imagine something, okay? All opposition and all temptation, it always gives us a mirage moment where something looks better than it is or something looks more desirable than it really is or something that is not of God starts to look better than God and God's ways. And so it's a false promise of help, happiness, or hope. Some of you, your stories could be, yeah, that's why I got started. That's why my porn problem started. That's why my drug and alcohol problem started. That's why I walked away from my marriage because it was a mirage moment with, some, with another lady or another guy. It's like when the credit card company sends you something and on the outside, what do they put? No interest. No payment for six months, and you've got a stack of bills, and there's a mirage moment right there. Promise of help, happiness, or hope, right? It's that, and it occurs all the time, and we do it all the time. But it happens in other ways than just those obvious ones. It's when you start thinking, my anger can solve my problems better than God. Or my desire to get ahead and get even and compromise integrity is a better way of help, happiness, and hope than God's way of integrity. 
It, it happens all the time. The mirage moment. Hey, here come these people who say they want to help us build. And here's what they're thinking. Well, you've been here in Jerusalem the whole time. Why hadn't you started building? Because they were a mirage. False help, false hope, false happiness. So here's what we have to do, people, church, as we, as we face the pushback. We have to, one, learn to challenge our thinking. Challenge our thinking. Too many of us, you've heard me say it before, too many of us, we never challenge our thinking. If we feel it or we think it, it's got to be true, it's got to be right, and we bank on it. I hear, I, how many times have you said, well, I think, well, I feel, well, I believe. Sometimes you need to say to yourself, I don't care what I think. I want to know what God says. You know what the death knell of a church is? When the people get in a room and say, I think, I feel, I believe. Instead of saying, what has God said? Eve thought it looked good. Eve thought it was desirable. Eve thought it was the best path. Eve, I don't care what you think. What did God say? You eat, you die. So you have to learn to challenge your thinking. So here's the deal. You're, you're, imagine this. I, I don't, this may not work. This illustration may not work for some of you, especially if you like, don't like cats or dogs, okay? But if you don't like cats, use dog in the illustration or whatever. So imagine on your front porch, you hear the doorbell rings, and you go, and there is the cutest little kitten or, cu- or puppy if you hate cats or something, right? Cutest little kitten or cutest little puppy there. It's so sweet. It's wrapped up. It's adorable. It looks healthy. It looks good, Okay. And your t- first thought is, man, I need to bring that into my house. I need to care for it. I need to do something with it. And now, imagine the doorbell rings, and there on the front porch with a, with a short leash tied to like one of your posts or something is a rabid dog. You won't let that one into your house. See, sometimes Satan comes like a cute little puppy. Maybe you need to test to make sure he doesn't have worms and rabies before you let it in your house. Your thoughts, your thinking can do that. Oh, it looks okay. What has God said? Don't care what you think. Don't care what you feel. Don't care what you believe. Nobody's lied to you more than you have. Nobody's led you or me down the stupid more than Matt's led me Matt down the stupid, right? So challenge our thinking. And what that means is we have to bring our mind or our mindset into submission to God and to his word versus moving our mind into a stronghold of, in, of, the, of, of, of an enemy, And it could be the stronghold of anger or cynicism or bitterness or a critical spirit. It could be the stronghold of greed and lust. It could be the strong word of worry or fear or doubt or discouragement. It doesn't matter. Here's my definition. Here's my definition that I would give for for a stronghold. It's an area of your life that's not under God's will, authority, or care. An area of your life not under God's will, authority, or care. Because of a thought that has been believed instead of challenged, and now that area is, uh, is not underneath the will, care, or authority of God. So, the opposition shows up. There's pushback. They challenge. They, they refute it. They, they say, no, you're not going to help us. But here's the next step in verse 4. It says, then the people who were already in the land, the ones who appeared as helpers but were really enemies, discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. And they stopped. Their progress stops. Why? Because the messenger gets them to feel afraid and discouraged more than they believe God's purpose and God's plan. 
They didn't stop there, though. They also bribed officials to act against them, to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia until the reign of King Darius of Persia. Here's what we need to know. Opposition is often unrelentless and unending. Now, here's my challenge. Here's my prayer for all of us, okay? My challenge, my prayer for all of us, okay? Opposition is not ever going to go away until Jesus Christ comes back. That's predictable and certain. It's the first point of the message. What's variable is our response. What if our response put us on the path of victory instead of the path of frustration, instead of the path of discouragement and fear? What if that's what we realize, that God, the opposition is, unle- un- is relentless and unending. It's not going to go away. In fact, the way this story is told is interesting. So, so let me kind of give you an overview of Ezra chapter 4. Ezra 4, 1 through 5 and 24 is talking about the first opposition to the temple. Then he goes in 6 through 23 and talks about second opposition to the wall. So there's kind of three phases here. We're going to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, rebuild the wall. And what is, Ezra, what is the author of Ezra, most likely it is Ezra, talking about here? He's like, opposition's unrelentless. It's not going to go away. So what he's doing is he's telling the history of the, of the people And he says, look, these people faced opposition, we're facing opposition, and the future generation, they're going to face opposition. It's common. It just happens. And it always appears the same way. External messenger appeals to an internal issue called the, or an internal threat called the flesh. So opposition appeals to a worldly fear or worldly desire to stop godly progress. That's exactly what happens. The messenger or Satan appeals to a worldly or internal fear to stop godly progress every time. So what's predictable? What's predictable is opposition. It's relentless. It's against God, his agenda, his people, and it always appeals to your internal worst self. False self, the you that lives apart from God. The variable response, how do we respond? Do we trust God and his word or what our flesh says? Do we, is our response a me or my flesh or is our response I'm with God and his word? That's it. This is the variable. What I would love for us to do and what I would pray for us to do and what I would hope that God would do is that you and I today could learn the victory response. The victory response. So the discouragement doesn't win. Anger doesn't win. Fear doesn't win. Satan doesn't win. Worry doesn't win. Condemnation doesn't win. The voice of guilt and shame, guilt and shame doesn't win. What wins is the victory that we have. In God, a living, reigning, ruling king. Now, the go-to tactic of the opposition is to break the hold of the word of God on us. Ezra chapter 1, 2, and 3, 50,000 people hear the word of God. 50,000 people say, we'll go 900 miles back to the promised land. 50,000 people say yes to trust in God. 50,000 people say yes to the purpose of God. 50,000 people say yes to the path of God. Pushback occurs, 
They get discouraged, and it breaks the hold of the Word of God directing and guiding and informing their life, and they give in to discouragement and fear, and the progress stops. Because do you know what the opposition loves to do? It always wants to break the hold of the Word of God on you. It loves to put question marks where God has put periods. That's it. Did God really say? Question mark. Yes, God said. God says in his word, I will never leave you or forsake you. Is God really here when the doctor walks in and says, here's what it is and it's not good? Question mark where God put a period. It's blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. Our economy and our worldview in America says, no, it's more blessed to get than to give. Question mark on God's plan. So it's just predictable. Question marks where God has put periods. What I'd love for us to do is if you've got a question mark anywhere in your soul, anywhere in your mind about the holy plan and holy love of God for your life, that today, today, we could erase that question mark on the cross of Calvary of Jesus Christ and place a period where God has said, I love you, I'm with you, I'm resurrected, with me, we win. That's our hope and prayer. End of Ezra, chapter 4. Now, the construction of God's house in Jerusalem stopped, stalled out, and remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia for about 15 years. They stopped. And what, now, what happened? First, they rebuffed it. First, they refuted it. See, here's what happens. Opposition becomes the excuse, and the excuse becomes a way of life. The opposition becomes the excuse, well, we can't keep building because they're going to punish us. They're going to attack us. And then for 15 years, it's just, this is our way of life. Anger got to get hold of you 10 years ago when your first marriage failed and you've been angry ever since. And in your mind, you feel justified by it. Cynicism got a hold of you because something didn't work out the way you thought it should. And you've just been a cynic, bitter, and frustrated ever since. Porn and lust got a hold of you, and it's like, ah, nobody gets hurt, nobody really cares, nobody knows, it's my body, and you're just living in lust ever since. This is how it goes. It's how it goes, right? The opposition becomes the excuse to stop, to stall, to quit moving, and 15 years later, nothing's changed for our, for our friends here. I mean, maybe for you, it's, I don't know. Let the, God, let the Word of God speak. And the prophets... The prophets Haggai and Zechariah commentate and prophesy against what was happening. So I just want to give you a snapshot from Haggai chapter 1. Second year of King Darius, first day of the sixth month, that's when the work was zoomed again, or they, or they got going again. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. So God's word comes back to his people. Because what does Satan want to do? Your enemy want to do? Wants to break the hold of the word of God on you. If the word of God doesn't have a hold on you today, our prayer is the word of God would get a hold of you today. Because spiritual progress always starts with the word of God received in faith. So the word of God comes through the prophet to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Yeshua or Joshua, the high priest. And here's what he says. The Lord of armies says this. These people say, you Jewish people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Look what's happened. They have replaced, they have put a question mark where God put a period. Why did God bring them back? To build the house. And they're like, oh, it's not the time, question mark. We don't know when it'll be the time. And what if they, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai? And what did he say? 
It is time for you yourself to live in your paneled nice houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins. So what did they do? They stopped building God's house and they started building their own houses and they're living comfy and cozy for 15 years because the opposition became an excuse and the excuse became a way of life. Now look what God says. Think, consider carefully your ways. Challenge how you've been thinking about this. Rethink how you, you thought, you felt, and you believed your way into a stalled out life. And that brings us to our third thing. Resolve to fight back. Resolve to fight back. Opposition is predictable. My response, your response is variable. Here's how we fight back. We're going to walk through it. First thing we have to do is we have to identify a name. And I'll call it the flaming arrow. I'll show you where to get that in scripture. Somewhere near you, there's a white index card under a seat if you're kind of on the front row in a seat back. Or you can use your bulletin notes. Doesn't matter. You can use your smartphone, however you take notes, however you want I want us to name opposition. I want us to name the flame and arrow. And now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen to me. Naming is a way of identifying and and saying, okay, I'm going to begin to take some ownership and take some authority over what's going on in my life. Okay? Now, do not write down cancer. Do not write down your husband's name. Do not write down your boss, your next door neighbor, the president, stock market. Don't write down what they did to you five years ago. That may have been the messenger, but you internalized it and allowed it to break the hold of the word of God on your life and feed your flesh. So cancer became discouragement. Write down discouragement or doubt. So divorce became anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. See, write down anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. That's the arrow. Because all that external stuff, let me tell you something. You're going to see it in just a minute. I'll go ahead and give you a sneak preview. Satan's been defeated. All he can do is plant a thought. You challenge that thought with the word of God, you win every time. Cancer can't take anything from you that God's given you. Divorce, he can't take that. He can't take anything God's given you. That gossip you heard that's just turned into, man, I just don't like those people. And it's turned into hate or a desire for revenge. No. So name the flame and arrow. And here's where that comes from. Ephesians 6, 16, great passage on warfare. In every situation, whoa, whoa, stop, ding, 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 ding. In every situation, what happens? You get shot at. You get opposed. You get pushed back. Bank on it. We need to get tired of coddling Christianity that says, oh, God will make every problem in your life just go away. No, God will give you victory over every problem, but it isn't going to go away because Jesus hasn't come back yet. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, trust, belief, with which you can, 
I love the word can. What can you do? Extinguish. You can win because you're fighting a defeated foe. If you are a Christ follower, you don't have to keep sinning. You don't have to stay angry. You don't have to stay discouraged. You don't have to get bitter. You can get better. Do you see that word can? Everybody say can. We can win. We can extinguish. What can we extinguish? All. Say all. All All the flaming arrows of the enemy. So we have to trust it's been defeated. And we turn decisively to the risen King Jesus. Trust it's been defeated. Turn decisively to the risen King Jesus. Because let me just say this. We grant authority to whatever we trust. Satan in the Garden of Eden had no authority over Adam and Eve. They just trusted him, and he took authority. When you trust your anger more than God, when you trust your bitterness, when you trust your worry, when you trust your fear, when you trust your discouragement, you trust your, you're giving it authority. That's why I want you to name it and take back authority over a defeated enemy. And that defeat comes in Christ. So here's what we have to do. We take, we got our art, we, our, our, our flame and air, we've named it. We got to find a specific promise, specific countermeasure. Okay, when I was in the Navy, I served on two ships. We had weapons to defeat the weapons the enemy shot at us. Specific weapons, not a one size fits all. So we got to go to God's word, because remember it's faith, the word of God. And we find a specific countermeasure. I want to give you an example. I'm going to give you three examples. Kind of we'll work through this like your math teacher used to. Let me show you an example of how this works, okay? We're going to work through it. Let's say you don't think you ought to stay married. Because, man, I'll be happier with another one. I'll be happier without this one. Whatever it looks like. So you go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. Let's say you land at Malachi. Malachi tells you this, the Lord has, was witness between you and the wife of your youth. God wants you to stay married to your first wife, is what it says. To whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, not contract, covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? You became one flesh with her. So guard yourselves in spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. That's your countermeasure. That's your countermeasure. You trust it. You hold the shield of faith up and you fight for your marriage. Let's say you got anger issues or let's say you got mouth issues or you use your tongue as an instrument of your, of your anger. Okay? You go to, you, I need a countermeasure. I believe it's been defeated. I can have a marriage that lasts. That's God's will. I don't have to have anger gets the best to me. So you, so you start searching. Come to James 1, 19, 21. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. Believe the word. That anger doesn't produce the kind of life you want or God wants. For it has the power to save your souls. And you're thinking and you're praying these verses. Let, let's, say, let's say your opposition is just, man, nothing seems to be going your way. 
You can pick what that is. It's just like bad news, bad news, bad news. Nothing seems to be going your way. And, and that, that starts to lodge in your brain, right? And it's like, man, you start to feel the victim. You start, instead of victor, you're victim. Vi- and, and you start to get worried. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Well, man, I got to go hunt for a countermeasure. I got to turn decisively to Christ. So I find Psalm 112, 7. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting the Lord. Doesn't say he won't get bad news. It's I'm not going to fear it anymore because my heart's confident I trust in the Lord. That's what I mean by finding a countermeasure and turning decisively to the Word of God to regain the authority of God and the victory of God in your life. And then you got to do one final step. You have to pray until you pray. You pray that promise until you pray that promise. That's pray persistently, and that's pray until this happens in your life. What is this? Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions, praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. So you pray that promise. Pray that verse. Play Malachi over your marriage. Pray James 1 over your anger, over your loose lips. Pray Psalm 112.7 over your fear of bad news. You pray, you pray, you pray. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's, a wonderful, it's wonderful what happens when Jesus Christ displaces, displaces worry at the center of your life. You pray until you pray. You pray until God displaces the fear, the discouragement, the worry, the anger, the bitterness, and you bank and you trust and you rest and you bank and you trust and you rest in the Word of God with your life. So, we've identified the flaming arrow and we've named it. Now, here's what we need to see. We need to see what Jesus did to whatever you wrote down or whatever you're thinking about. Here's what Jesus did. Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So that means some of you, you're dead. You're dead because you're apart from God. You're dead because you're carrying your sins and your sin nature still is reigning and ruling in your life. But then God can make you alive with Christ for he wants to forgive or he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of these charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Have you let Jesus do that for you? New in Christ. He's my Lord, leader, Savior. I realize all my guilt, shame, sins, he's nailed to the cross. He's crucified my sin nature, and I'm ready to walk a new life. But not only did he, does he save us from the penalty of sin, not only does he save us from the penalties of our sins, but he also saves us from the power and the presence of our sins and our sin nature, our enemy, that discouragement, that bitterness, that lust, that greed, In this way, he disarmed. Remember I told you you were fighting a defeated foe? Here it is. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So we're going to write something down where we need victory that Jesus has already promised, purchased, and provided. And we're going to turn decisively to the place of that victory, which is a cross. And we're going to say, God, let me see you as my victory. So in just a minute, I'll pray over us. And we'll sing. And you're welcome to make a physical response. I find sometimes that physical responses that represent internal realities are more memorable 
and help me and help remind and stir my faith. My God gave us baptism in the Lord's Supper. So a physical response to take that and put it on the cross, disarmed, defeated. I'm moving away. Christ is my victory. Some of you tonight, today, this weekend, you need to let Christ into your life and become a true Christian, a follower of Jesus. Some of you are going to choose not to move physically. That's fine. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you pray? Would you pray for your own self and your own battle? Pray for your neighbors, people in the room with you. Pray that God's Spirit leads us all down the path that Jesus purchased and provided, which is the path of victory. Let me pray. God, for everybody in here, I pray nothing but victory. Every single one of us, God, we face opposition and we face pushback. But every single one of us can have victory if we would turn to Christ and believe the power of your word. God, every single one of us can walk in newness of life, walk away not only from the penalty of sin and hell, but also the presence of power of if sin in our real lives right now in this instant. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray by the presence of your Holy Spirit that your will would be done right now, that you would find hundreds if not thousands of adults surrendered to you, awoken to your presence, ready to walk in the path of your victory. God, that's our prayer. God, would you give victories? Would you give freedom? God, would you move people? God, would you affect us? God, would you shake us? God, would you bend us? God, would you show us how you have disarmed, disarmed and defeated every foe against us so that we, God, can truly walk and live in newness of life, in victory, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.